Good morning. How y'all doing? How y'all doing? Good? Good deal. Would you give our worship team a big round of applause? Um, we've been we've been talking the last couple of weeks about the the feast of the Lord and things like that. I want to show you some of the um, some of the um, references that we have on those things, so you'll know that I'm not being crazy up here and all that kind of stuff uh, talking about these things. Uh, but first, before we get into that, I, I just remembered that last week. Uh, usually on the first weekend of the month, we like to pray over tithes and offerings um, that um, you guys are obedient to, to do with your finances and things like that. And I forgot last week. We had a full plate last week, and, and uh, so I, I forgot to do that. So here at Cowboy Church, if this is your first time here, you haven't been here for very long, um, we don't... Uh, pass a plate or anything, a bucket or anything like that. We don't take a special time out of our services to take up offerings or anything like that. We've always had this policy from the very beginning is that, you know, we trust God on the inside of you. We trust Holy Spirit in you. And if he's ministered to you to uh, financially partner with this church, we thank you for that but we're going to leave that to you to take care of. And I've, I've had people who've come out of conventional churches and they go, how do you do that? How do y'all, how do y'all make money? And we, we make money by trusting God on the inside of you, on the inside of every, every one of you. We don't, we don't like to, to try to get money out of you. We don't like to give you a sob story. We don't like all those things. And so we don't run a plate under your nose to make you feel guilty. Um, you can put your wadded up dollar bill in there. <laughs> I come out of a traditional church, the, the plate would come by. And, you know, you could tell the people who were proud to give because they would fold their $100 to, so everybody could see it when it comes by. <laughs> and the ones that were like, I don't have that much, they'd roll up a dollar bill, throw it in there for the mystery of not knowing what that bill is. Um, but we, we, we don't do that here. We, we trust God in you. And if you want to give uh, financially here, you can partner with us in service. We've got a box going out these doors over here by the hospitality that you can put your finances in. Um, or you can go online like so many people are doing these days, going online and, and uh, giving at our website. Um, and so you can do that. And we just trust God in you. But here's what we like to do is we like to pray over your finances because those of you who have been faithful, those of you who have partnered with us, we know that we are good ground for God to begin to bring blessing into your life as well. I was reading this morning in Psalm 35 verse 27, it says that God delights in the prosperity of his servants. He delights in the prosperity. So, you know, are you one of those prosperity preachers? I guess, um, because I like prosperity. <laughs> I, I've had prosperity, and I've had not had prosperity, and prosperity is a lot better. <laughs> because this is what I did. I went and looked up the word prosperity there in Psalm 35, and that word is shalom. Because when you are... When you are in a financial place where everything is good financially in your life, there is a peace that you have. 
That word shalom means literally peace, unbroken peace. And I like to live my life unbroken in, in what goes on around me. I don't like my finances to be broken. I don't like my health to be broken. I, I like the full prosperity, the full shalom of God in my life. So God delights in that when you have that. So when you partner with him through an entity like this church or like other ministries that are out there, when you, when you partner with them, God has a funnel of, uh, into your life to get prosperity into your life. And that can be finances, that can be healing, that can be um, uh, good relationships all the way around you, a good marriage. And yeah, I got the baby up here, amen in me. And so... Um, I just want to. I just want to pray over that real quick, if if y'all don't mind, Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you so much for each and every person that's here, Father. We don't pray over them just because they give. We don't pray over them just because they um, have some kind of partnership with us or somebody else in ministry, Father. I want to pray that that you delight in our prosperity. So, Father, whatever that is, that shalom in our lives, Father, I thank you so much that you continue to pour out blessing. As it says in Luke, that you pour out your blessing so big that we don't have room to contain it. Give and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Father, I think that that is prosperity in every aspect of finances, of healing, of, of relationship. Father, I just thank you so much for what you do when your people partner with you in their finances that you have already given to them. I thank you and I praise you for the blessing that continues to roll into the houses of those people that partner here at this church. God, I thank you so much and I ask you to bless them beyond, beyond all their comprehension in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Y'all received that this morning? Awesome. Well, if you have your Bibles, if you would go over to Leviticus chapter 23. And like I said before, we've been talking about the... the the feasts of the Lord. There were seven feasts here that are mentioned in Leviticus chapter 23. And three of them happen in the spring. One of them happens in late spring, early summer. And then there are three that happen in the fall. And so we've been talking about these fall feasts that, that are here in the, in the, in the Bible. And um, as, as we move into those things, or as, as I I close it out today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close out the last one today called the Feast of Tabernacles. I want you to um, know that I don't just come up with this stuff on my own. I'm, I study. And, uh, and so we, we have um, brought about some things that if you want to look to see if I'm talking the way I'm supposed to be talking, we got some books in the bookstore that um, kind of help my study out. They've, they've always helped my study out. So We've got one that uh, is called God's Appointed Times by Barney Kasdan. And um, really, it's, it says on there, it's a practical guide for understanding and celebrating the biblical feast. We've got one called the Feast of the Lord. We've got calendars. Got a couple of different calendars. Uh, this calendar is, we just got in this week. It's, um, it, it show, it's based off of God's calendar or the Jewish calendar, but it goes in parallel to our cal our conventional calendar called the Gregorian calendar. And so it, it helps you manage not only your 
known daily life, it helps you to see what God's people and their lives center around as well that, that we've been talking about. And last, uh, last of all things, um, there's this big purple book. It's, I know it's a lot. It looks very complicated, but it is the most simple book on the biblical holidays that is out there. And it's called A Family Guide to the Biblical Holidays with Activities for All Ages. It's got, it's got recipes, it's got songs, it's got little cutouts and little uh, things that your children can use to color and things like that. And then a few years ago, I did a, a calendar um, that kind of explains some of the things we've been talking about as well. So with that... Kevin, can I give these to you? So if you would like to check those out, we've got those in the bookstore. One of the best books that I love the most is called The Torah Blessing. And this is by a guy named Larry Huck. Larry Huck is kind of a cowboy guy. He's a Texan. And, and um, he just has that, you know, a good old handlebar mustache that I, can't, that I can't grow myself. Larry can do it. And, uh, and, and, and so he's a, he's a Texas guy. He's a um, very simple, easy to understand, and, and I, I love this guy. We've only got two of these in the bookstore, so the first two that can run in there and get them, just fight everybody else off, all right? All right. Thank you guys for letting me do that. Um, uh, this morning, what I'm going to go into, what I want to talk about to you today is called the Feast of Tabernacles. If you look at your conventional calendar, it might say the Feast of Tabernacles, but it probably says a, a word called Sukkot, S-U-K-K-O-T, Sukkot. And that's, a, that's an English word for a um, booth, a booth. Okay, we'll get into that. Um, but the Feast of Tabernacles is one of three pilgrimage feasts that are, that, that are in the Bible. In other words, I think it's in Exodus that God tells Moses that all the people have to come to Jerusalem, all males, and if they're married, then they bring their families to Jerusalem. It's a pilgrimage from wherever they're at to come to Jerusalem. Passover is one of those. Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks is one of those. Those happen in the spring and early, uh, early summer. And then the Feast of Tabernacles is a pilgrimage feast. So there are a lot of people that come centered up around the temple, but flowing out into Jerusalem streets. And it is a party <laughs> that happens. What I love about these pilgrimage feasts is that it is, it is a time that God is bringing all the families of Jerusalem together and bringing them into one place in unity. They are all in unity. What, is, what does that mean? It means they're all gathering together with one thought and one purpose, and they're coming together despite their differences. You know, you put two people in a room together, for not for very long, and they will have a disagreement. But God, it, His deal is to bring people together in unity. In uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says that, um, that He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, talking about the leadership of, of church world. But He said, for the equipping of the saints... For the, for the building of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith 
and we think about how many different denominations and how many churches are against each other. We're not in the unity of the faith yet, right? So all these things are happening in the world in the world that you're seeing on TV and you're going, the end times is here, the end times is here. You want to know when the end times is here? It's when we all come to the unity of the faith. We may not agree with, uh, you know, where, wherever, you know, this kind of baptism or that kind of baptism or this kind of uh, way that you bring salvation to preach the gospel. But the unity of the faith is about coming together as one people after one purpose. And that was God shadow, making a shadow of what it would be like when we as Christians come to the unity of the faith. Amen. Jesus' prayer before he went to the cross was that we would be one as he and the Father are one. We would be one together with God, one together with the people of God, and that we would be one family in unison walking together in the love of God. If you're exuding the love of God, there is no differences even though there might be differences. All right. So I'll move on. It's all about the love of God. Amen. So as I get into this day, into this message today, love me. This is good stuff. This is good stuff. Okay, Leviticus chapter 23 is where I'm going to go. And we're going to go through a lot of scripture today, so be ready. You can write these things down if you can't keep up or whatever, but write them down. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 1, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. Uh, Skip down to verse 4. It says, These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. Now, if you, if you notice in those scriptures, God is saying to Moses, or Moses is saying from God, these are God's feasts. They're not the Jewish feast. They're not the Hebrew feast. They're not the feast of those other people. They are the feast of God. And he says, I'm putting this on you to make this known. He says, let them be holy convocations. The word convocations, as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, the word uh, convocations is a uh, word that means a rehearsal. It's a rehearsal. It's a, it's a summoning together for a rehearsal. And, and so um, for, the, for, the, for the church, these feasts, these rehearsals that we're doing, it is pointing us to the one who was who is and is to come. Who would that be? That would be Jesus. Jesus is the, is the finality, the grand finale of these feasts, what they ultimately mean. Even though every year people would get together and celebrate them, it was a rehearsal of who was, who is, and who is to come. So the last feast of the year that we're going to talk about today, the Feast of Tabernacles, was the absolute most joyful time that that um, the Jewish people would get to experience. I've got a good friend over there in, in Jerusalem. His name is Richard Frieden. He's been here to the church several times over the last several years. 
but uh, Richard is a a tour uh, tour guide over there, and he also has a youth ministry in downtown Jerusalem. But he's been wanting me and Lynette and our family to come to Israel. And he would tell me, he says, I want you to come, but I want you to come at the Feast of Tabernacles because there's no party like being in, in Israel, being in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. He said, it's awesome. You got to come. You got to be there. And so um, when we go, we will go at this time of year. But it's not going to be this year. <laughs> Obviously. I don't think they've opened their borders yet over there. But anyways, he says it's a holy convocation. He says, now this is the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, here in verse, uh, go on down to verse 33, Leviticus 23, verse 33. It says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel, saying the 15th day of the seventh month. Now that's not, uh, that's not July 15th, okay? The calendar is God's calendar here. So it's the 15th day of the seventh month, which is called the month of Tishri in, 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 um, on, on the Jewish calendar. So he says that 15th day of the seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. Um, skip on down to verse 41. Um, I, I challenge you to go back and read the in-between because it, it will say some things that I can't um, I don't have the time to go through, but you'll, you'll read it later. So anyways, <laughs> go on down to verse 41. Moses is still talking to the people, and he says, You shall keep it, keep this day, as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate, you shall celebrate it in the seventh month, and you shall dwell in booths for seven days all who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths. So, dwell in booths. The word booth there in the scripture in the Hebrew is called sukkah. Sukkah. And it's where we get, like I said before, on the calendar it may say sukkot. Same, same uh, derivative of the word sukkah. And it means a booth, a shelter, a tent, or a tabernacle. Got that? And it was um, this, this uh, holiday or holy day that God is talking about is to complete the sacred festivals of that, second, that seventh month. And everyone who was able, as I said before, pilgrimage, they had a pilgrimage, everyone who was able would come to Jerusalem and they would bring with them the makings for a temporary tent, a temporary booth. And most of the time it was a three-sided booth with no roof on it. And every family would gather into that booth uh, in the, in, during this time. So Feast of Tabernacles had many names. The names of the Feast of Tabernacles could be uh, the, the Feast of Ingathering. Everybody's coming to, to gather in. And not only that, they're bringing their crops that they've gathered um, the Feast of Nations, the Festival of Dedication, the Festival of Lights, and our Season of Joy. So 
Last week, I talked about the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was the most holy day in the year, and it was a very solemn, very quiet, very um, uh, just a heavy day because it was about the restitution or the payment of the sins of the people in, in Israel. So as serious and as solemn as, solemn as the day of, uh, day of Atonement, the complete opposite was about tabernacles. It was a parte. Say that with me, parte. All right, I just want to make sure you're awake. It was a party atmosphere. There was music. There was dancing. There was celebration 24 hours a day for a week. They would partay. <clears throat> That's why it was called the season of joy because, because um, for the last month and a half leading up to this day, the last month and a half, the people every day would be repenting. They would, they would have this repentance. They'd be able to evaluate their life and see the, the wrong that I've done and how to make that right, how to repent, how to turn away from the sin. And, and for, for 45 days, uh, they have been doing this. And so as, as they have seen this daily repentance happening in their life, in one day, the Day of Atonement, it was all taken care of. The guilt and the shame of being a sinner over the last year. Don't look at me so holy, y'all. You know, you know what I'm talking about. All of a sudden, it is released. All the guilt and the shame is released, and there is freedom. Freedom. Freedom in that is a celebration. They begin to celebrate. Complete freedom. Total forgiveness. And as it says in 1 Peter, that they've got joy inexpressibly. They, they, you can't even explain the joy that has been given. It's just like us when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate atonement. He is the ultimate sacrifice. And there is a release of guilt and shame. If, if we consider ourselves Christians and we're carrying guilt and shame, we need some help to get rid of that so that we can step into the inexpressible joy that God wants us to have. And that, that's, it's not fake. It's, it's real to understand that Jesus took his, took, went to the cross to take our sin away from us, to take anything that the, that the world would offer that is not up to par. And I say that being a golfer, I like making par. But all the bogeys are wiped away. Hey Amen. That's a that's a great card, man. That's a, that's that's scratch golf right there. I like that. I like that. I wish I was there. Um, and and then it says here in Leviticus chapter twenty three verse forty three, it says it w- uh, will remind e- remind each new generation of Israelites that I made their ancestors live in shelters when I rescued them from the land of Egypt. So what God is doing through the Feast of Tabernacles as he's pointing people back to what they, where they were in Jerusalem, the, the slavery that they had, I mean, in, in Egypt. I'm getting my countries mixed up. In Egypt, and when he led them out, and you saw the Ten Commandments, right? Yeah. Charlton Heston kind of led them out into this place and gave them complete freedom. And, and God's thing is to say, look, I took you out into 
complete freedom in the wilderness and I provided for you when you had nothing. And so the Feast of Tabernacles was all about the wilderness years uh, that, that God said, uh, you know, God is saying to them, when I brought you out into the wilderness, when I brought our people out into the wilderness, they should not have survived in that wilderness. I've done some study on that wilderness and there is nothing out there. Absolutely nothing. It looks like the atomic bomb went off and it produced rocks. Because that's all that's out there is just rocks. There's no life. There's no plants. But God says, I was with the people then as I will be with you now. I will, I will show up. God said, I brought them out into the wilderness. I showed up for them. I was a cloud by day to bring cool to the day in the desert. I'm a fire by night that brings warmth in the desert for the people. I am the manna. I am the splitting of the Red Sea. I am water that came out of a rock. And I am the cloud and the fire. He says, I came to lead you out here. You lived in booths, but I was your protection. I was your comfort. I was the one who would bring everything that you need. Over in Exodus chapter 34, I'm going to go over there real quick. Um, The Lord had given the Ten Commandments to to Moses. Moses went up on the mountain. God gave him two tablets of the Ten Commandments. And and, uh, when when Moses came down, um, he... He had though he went up there because the people refused to hear God. They said they wanted to hear Moses. So Moses went up, got the Ten Commandments. He's coming back down, and he saw that they completely turned back to their Egyptian ways, and they made a golden calf, began to begin to worship the golden calf. You remember that story? And, and Moses got so ticked off that he took these rock commandments, tablets, and he threw them down and he broke them. And when he did that, God's wrath came and began to, to bring judgment. That's not what I'm here to talk about. <laughs> so after a little while, after everything got settled and everybody got repented for, then he called Moses back up on the mountain. He says, come back up here. Cut you a couple more rocks and come back up here. I want to give you this. Moses went up for 40 days and 40 nights. And, and um, God began to pour out to him the, uh, the, the law. Um, so uh, this is what it says. Exodus chapter 34, verse 1. says, And the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone. I already said that, huh? Like the first ones. And I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. God don't let him get away with nothing, does he? So be ready in the morning and come up uh, in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. Skip over to verse 27. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write these words according to the tenor of these words. That word tenor means face-to-face. He says, write these words because I'm speaking to you face-to-face. And and, um, 
He says, I have made covenant with you and with Israel. Verse 28, so, when, uh, so he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote the tablets, the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So he did that for 40 days. And, and Moses came down. Traditionally, it says that Moses came down from that meeting on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is what we talked about last week. It's the Day of Atonement. So he came down. Uh, Moses came down traditionally on Yom Kippur, and he bring he was bringing the law and the judgments of forgiveness and freedom to Israel. So Moses began talking to them and relaying this message that. Um, uh, relaying the message that God is not trying to bring separation from people. He's not saying, I'm the Lord, you're the people, we've got this big gap between us. He's saying, I gave Moses my word in order to connect us together. Because to be able to be a human being and come into the presence of God, there has to be something that ties us together. And God says, I'm giving my law, I'm giving my commandments to Moses to give to you so that I can come and be with you. God wants to be, he, he wanted nothing more than to be with his people. And he's still like that today. He wants to just be with his people. And that's God's desire. Exodus chapter 35 verse 11 says, Come, all of you who are gifted craftsmen, and construct everything that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle and its sacred tent. God is saying, Moses is telling the people to construct a tent for God so he can come and be in their presence. So he doesn't have to stay in heaven, so that he doesn't have to stay on Mount Sinai, but he can come into the place where all the people gather and he can be right in the middle of things. You know, I have a lot of people that say, well, I put God first place in my life. And that's cool. That's good. But you know where God desires to be? He desires to be in the middle of his people. Not just first place. He desires to be in the middle. And when the Israelites would set up camp out there in the wilderness, they would camp around. God was the, the, the tabernacle that they're talking about building here. It was in the center of all the tribes around, around that. Because God wants to be with his people, and he wants to be in the center of what you do. Amen. He wants to be in the center of your job, the center of your marriage, the center of all your relationships. God wants to be in the center. He said, make me a sanctuary that I may dwell and live among them in Exodus chapter 25. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles was a celebration of God um, desiring to live with his people. It was, uh, it was a season of joy and his love for them. So it, had, it, it, was, it was God with his people. So remember that. God with his people. Say that with me. God with his people. Remember that. It was a holy convocation. It was a prophetic rehearsal. God wanted to be with his people, not just because of then and now, then, then and there. But he says, as you do this, as you celebrate these feasts, know that I continually want to desire to be with my people. <clears throat> In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, uh, the, the prophet Isaiah says this. Um, he says, all right, then. The Lord himself will give you the sign. 
look, uh, look, the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son who will call him, who, whom she will call him Emmanuel. So he says, look, there's, there's signs that I'm giving you. What's the sign that he's given here in Isaiah? But a virgin will conceive, right? That's a, that's a big sign because that don't happen. That's an immaculate conception. So that's that's big sign there. But the biggest sign that he is saying here is he says, the, the, the baby that will arrive, his name will be called Emmanuel. The word Emmanuel means God is with us. He spoke this 700 years before Jesus was born. So there is no excuse. The, 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 those those, is, those um, Jewish people, the Hebrew people, loved the Word of God, and they loved Isaiah. Isaiah was a part of their yearly we, uh, readings that they would do. And they would read this, this um, uh, Scripture every year. And so they knew that there were, you know, there's going to be a virgin that gets pregnant. I don't know how. She's going to get pregnant and she's going to give birth to a son and they'll call him God is with us. Now, as we push forward, the holy convocation in that was the rehearsal to proclaim when they would, when they would party at the Feast of Tabernacles, it was also to proclaim that the Messiah in the flesh was going to come. It was a rehearsal of the expectation of the Messiah to come. Who would be Jesus, right? It's who we know as Jesus. So when 700 years later, when Mary gave birth to Jesus, the prophetic rehearsal that they've been doing now has become reality. Because in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, it says that he, Jesus, was called Emmanuel, God with us. Are you with me? Yes. I hope I'm not confusing you too bad. See, when Mary gave birth and, and brought that about, it was God with us. I, I love what the Apostle John wrote in his book called John, the, the fourth gospel. John wrote John, and he says this in the very beginning. John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The Word that he's talking about here is God's Son, called the Word of God. Okay? He's with. And then down on verse 14, going down to verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And all those things that were in him was revealed. But the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt there in the Greek means to tabernacle. Even though they had a physical tabernacle, now the, the thing is, is who, that was what was. Now to them, what is, is this baby being born of a virgin called Emmanuel. God is with us. They've been rehearsing that. They should, have, they should have seen it. 
Some Jews saw it, but a lot of them didn't. And still today, a lot of them don't see that yet. They're still waiting on the first coming of Jesus or the, the Messiah. But they missed the Messiah during that time, 2,000 years ago. But they had been rehearsing for that, and they should have known that. I'm not even a Jewish person, and I know that. <laughs> Anyways, I am confident in myself and my studies that I've done that the Feast of Tabernacles is when Jesus was truly born. What about December 25th, Pastor? What about December 25th? Well, the first Christ Mass, Mass means a celebration, the first Christ Mass was celebrated or recorded to be celebrated in 354 A.D. That was 350 years before Jesus went to the cross. It was even more <laughs> when Jesus was born, 30 years before that, that Jesus was born. So Christ Mass, the celebration of the Christ, was not even brought about, the, the December 25th as we know it, was not even brought about until 350 years after Jesus went to the cross. Amen? So I just, I just want to give you really quickly some of the observations why I think this way. Because, for one, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. This is the Feast of Tabernacles. Mary and Joseph, in, in Luke chapter 2, Mary and Joseph came to Jerusalem on a pilgrimage feast. So that kind of narrows down when they came. They either came at Passover, they either came at Pentecost, or they came at Feast of Tabernacles. But here's the deal. The Roman census, the Word of God says the Roman census was being taken at that time. How are they going to count the people of Jerusalem or of Israel? How are they going to count them if they don't have them all coming together in one spot? During that time was the best time to tax the people because it was an ingathering of all their crops and they would bring their tithes to the temple during that time. And so it was a good time to tax the people as well, the Romans thought. Then another thing in Luke chapter 2 is they brought cloths with them. When Jesus was born, they wrapped him in swaddling cloths. Remember that? Swaddling cloth. I didn't know what swaddling cloths were until we had a kid and then we put them in a blanket and it's like, okay, that's the swaddle. Duh. But Mary and Joseph had cloths with them. Everybody came to Jerusalem during that time and they would bring cloths with them because at night, because this was the festival of lights, they would take those cloths and wrap them around a stick and light them up and they would become torches for the partay at night. Got my, got my torch and I'm... Now you know why I don't dance. That's why I, I leave weddings early. But they had claws with them, and they didn't know where to, how to wrap baby Jesus up, but put him in a swaddling, put him in a cloth. Uh, another thing is there was no room in the end. Why, why was there no room in the end? Because everybody was there. And so they, the best thing that they could do was a booth, a manger, 
the place where they tied cattle was called Sukkot, a sukkah. They went and put, they, Mary had baby Jesus in a sukkah. That's why there was a manger there. Amen. And the, the big one that I love to, to hold on to that Jesus was born at this time, it was called the Festival of Lights. That was called, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles was called the Festival of Lights. And in the Festival of Lights, Jesus is the light of the world, right? He was called the light. But at the Festival of Lights, if he was born in the Festival of, light, of Lights, then you back up nine months to conception, and it was at Hanukkah where he would have been conceived, it also is called the Festival of Lights. So he was conceived in lights and birthed in lights. And he was the light of the world. He is the light. As this Festival of Lights began to happen, they would construct four giant candelabras. 75 feet tall were these candelabras. It was like a menorah. They would put four of them up during this time on top of the hill, and when they lit them, the Mishnah, which is the um, oral tradition of the law, said that there was not a courtyard in Jerusalem that was not lit up during this time. They were so bright. And then you got the dudes running around with their torch. I mean, it is so bright there. There is no shadow. There's no shadows. In John chapter 1, verse 4 through 9, it it talks about the word Jesus being light and that John the Baptist um, was sent to to bear witness of the light, but John wasn't the light, but he was to bear witness that Jesus was the light. And John the Baptist is the one who baptized Jesus, right? And so that brought about the light. I'm going to skip on down a little bit for the sake of time. Jesus is the festival of lights. He's the tabernacle. He is God with us. So as the church, as you and I, as the church, as Christians in this place, um, through Jesus, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to be light as well. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, he sa- it says that you, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. In 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians chapter 6, both in chapter 6, The Apostle Paul says, you are the temple of God. You are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. You. You. You are the light. If Jesus is your Lord, you are the light. So when we look at this in our day and time, what does our rehearsal proclaim? I'm so glad you asked. You guys are smart to ask the right questions. What does the rehearsal do now? It begins to rehearse for the second coming of Jesus. The second coming of Jesus and establishing the bride of Christ. And I know these are big things, but, you know, in in 2,700 years, um, uh, 2,700 years ago, Micah, the prophet Micah wrote this in, in Micah chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. He says, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house, the tabernacle, 
will be the highest of all. He said, this is in the last days. Do you all understand that? That's our time. He's prophesying 2,700 years ago about our time. He says, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house, the tabernacle, will be the highest of all. The most important place on earth. It will be raised above all other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to, the, to worship. People from many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house or tabernacle of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from all of Jerusalem. Two things here. The first one is that God's presence, God's tabernacle sits on top of the hill. And he says, in the last days, people will come to the tabernacle. We in this time, especially where we're at right now with all the crazy stuff that's going on in our world, a lot of us are looking at this and saying, the times we're in and saying, we are in the end times, right? But I'm going to tell you this, before Jesus can come back to this earth and take us with him or marry us as the bride, the temple has to be rebuilt on the hill because there is no temple there. There's a mosque there. And for some, I don't know how this is all going to play out, but the temple is going to be rebuilt. So we are not even going to see the end times until the temple's re- If the temple starts getting built tomorrow, start puckering. <laughs> because things are happening. Things are happening. We know that. But when, the, when that temple starts to be rebuilt you better get it on with Jesus. Amen? But the cool thing is, not only that physical temple being built on the mountain, he is saying that we as the church, as the bride of Christ, we are the light of the world and we shine into people's lives. And people will go, what is it that you have? I see something on you. It's so cool that, especially my wife, when she goes to um, the the place where our daughter works, Dutch Bros Coffee. Just just put a plug in. I need a free coffee. Anyways, it's it's so cool because my wife Lynette has just made friends with these kids who work in this coffee stand, and every one of those kids will tell Riata, "Your mom is such a light." That's why I married her because she's taller than me and she's a light <laughs> over everything. But that's, that's the purpose that we have as being the light of the world because when we're light of the world, as Micah says, there's people that's going to come and grab you by the sleeve and go, hey, what is this? Teach us the ways of the Lord. When you have light in your life, you have, um, I can't think of the word, you, you, you have this attraction. You, you have something that pulls people in to who you are to say, what is up with you? And they do that to her. She could spend hours in that line holding up cars behind her, talking to these kids, and, and they just love it. So I want to I wanna push into this. So we saw what was, what is, now what's to come? We're rehearsing for what is to come, literally, with the, with the Feast of Tabernacles. If you would, go over to Revelation chapter 21, 
It's a two-Bible day, so I'm going to switch out my Bibles because I like this from the New Living Translation. But it speaks of the second... Revelation 21 speaks of the second coming of Jesus, right? It speaks of Him setting up His kingdom here on this earth and bringing in His bride, which is His people. All you, all you tough um, dudes, all you, all you men who are masculine and everything, I want you to understand that if you're a Christian, you're also a bride. So pay attention to your bride because you are a bride. And Jesus loves you, as Ephesians chapter 5 says, Jesus loves you like, or you, you love your wives as Jesus loves the church, his bride. Man, what he wouldn't do for you, what he hasn't done for you. So here in Revelation 21, we're, we're talking about a rehearsal time when the, feet, when the trumpets sound. You know, we've been talking about these Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement. When the trumpet sounds, it is the catching away of the church, which we call the rapture. There's a catching away of the church. There's the 10 days of awe between, um, between trumpets and the Day of Atonement. There's 10 days in there, and that's likened to the tribulation. Um, it's, it's likened to the tribulation. I don't even have time to go into all that. Day of Atonement is like the judgment seat of Christ and the judgment of the nations. And then the Feast of Tabernacles is like the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's the marriage of God, God's people to Jesus. It's, it's us as Christians finally getting to be with Jesus in such an intimate way that we've never been. I mean, right now we have intimacy with him. We get alone with him and we, we you know, soak in him and read his word and things like that. But that is the rehearsal of us coming to be in an intimate spot with Jesus. Got really quiet. Revelation chapter 21, I want to read this to you. Um, Verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, uh, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. See, when, when we get caught away into the rapture, when we're with him in heaven, in, in this heavenly realm, during the tribulation, all of a sudden, we are the new Jerusalem that comes back to this earth for a thousand-year reign, is what the Bible says, to reign with God for a thousand years. So when you celebrate these feasts that we're talking about, you are in training for reigning. The rehearsal that we're doing when we recognize these things is we're recognizing that there is a time when God is going to come back to be with his people and we're going to reign with him on this earth. There's still going to be sin, but the devil is locked away. He's locked away. He's chained up for a thousand years and we get to have reign because there's still going to be people that need to come to the knowledge of Jesus and it'll still be open. Amen? Verse 9, 
says, Then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come with me, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Skip on down to verse 22. It says, I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The temple is God and the Son, Jesus. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. These are all things that are mentioned in the Feast of Tabernacles. The nations, verse 24, the nations will walk in its light and the king, uh, the king of the world will enter the city and all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there is no night there. And the nations will bring, uh, will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Man, I I know, I know that Revelation is hard to understand sometimes, but when you understand that you are rehearsing these feasts, when you're rehearsing, you're, you're, you're placing yourself in the rehearsal of what will come to pass whether you die before it gets here or whether you're taken away in the middle of it, you will be brought into God's presence because he is the king of the kingdom and Jesus is the light of the kingdom and we're one together with him. So when we rehearse these things, when we celebrate, when we recognize, I don't say that you got to go to Jerusalem and bounce around and all that kind of stuff. I'm just saying you've got to know on the inside of you that these things are these things are coming. These things are coming. The book of Zechariah says that for the rest of eternity, even after all of this is over, we will be with him and we will celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. That is the only feast that is said in the Bible that we will continue to do in eternity. We will go to Jerusalem just like those people did in the Old Testament. Amen? Because the Feast of Tabernacles is a rehearsal of our marriage to Him. The wedding reception is the Feast of Tabernacles and it's going to be a celebration like nothing ever before. Revelation 19.9 says... Uh, Then he said to me, this is uh, John talking about in this vision. He says, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the lamb. See, words can't describe and our minds cannot contain what is the joy that it will be like. It's a wedding supper. It's a wedding reception. Most of you has been married or at least been to a wedding where the reception continues to go on and on and on. But do you know who's having the fun? The bride and groom. 
They're the one. Everybody else sitting around going, I wish they'd quit and go to a hotel. <laughs> but the bride and groom, we are that with him. That's what the Feast of Tabernacles is that we'll be celebrating. Amen? Amen. Amen. <clears throat> In ancient times, the Feast of Tabernacles was a week-long celebration, a 24-hour party, and eternity will be a thousand-year party. A thousand-year party. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 44, and I'm going I'm to close out on this. It says, So Moses declared to the children of Israel the feast of the Lord. He said it's finished. That's what it's all about. I'm declaring this to you. Now it's up to you to bring these things about in your life. So here's a few things that you can write down. The Feast of Trumpets happened last Monday night. For those of you that gathered with us over at Sanborn Park, we threw our rocks out into the, the, into the ocean, into the pond. It's, it's as good as any ocean because those rocks went to the bottom and you'll never see those things again unless you want to swim out there and try to find it. That would be a waste of time. So last Monday night, September 6th, we celebrated the Feast of Trumpets. On the evening of September 15th, which is coming up, will be the Day of Atonement. I talked to you all about that last week. If you want to know what I said about that, go back and listen to the message. I don't have time. And then on September the 20th through the 27th will be the Feast of Tabernacles, when we start the Feast of Tabernacles. So here's what I suggest. If you want to take part in that, it's a holy convocation. It's a rehearsal. It's training for reigning, okay? But what you can do is take... Um, um, Man, what did I write? I don't even know what I'm, I don't even know what I'm writing. Oh, um, you can take the d- days off. I think it's the 21st. Yeah, you can, take the, you can take the 21st and 28th as a time of rest. You can take off from your work if you can. Just spend that day of just resting if that's the way you, if you want to help celebrate this. The second thing you can do is build a booth, build a sukkah, which is a three-sided little dwelling. We usually just get one of those pop-up tents, you know, and we've celebrated with the kid and didn't put the, the rain cover over it, you know, so we could see the, see if God was going to show up and bring a pillar of light, <clears throat> a pillar of fire. But, you know, you can build a souk and gather with your family and at least have a meal together with your family, okay? At least have a, a meal together. We would, we would set up the tent and then order pizza, and we'd just sit in the tent and eat pizza and talk with our kids. And number three, you can worship and celebrate that you are the bride of Christ. If you've received Jesus as your Lord, celebrate that you're the, you're the bride of Christ. Amen? So nothing, I mean, we're just learning these things. So it's just make it easy. So with that, God's feast, when we read about these things, God's feasts are strange. They're strange, aren't they? They're exciting if you dig into them. It's like an orphan finding his place with a new family. They, they, they take, that, take him in as an adoption. Take them in. You're, you're being taken in as adoption. And when you're adopted into a family, you don't get to keep your ways. You become a part of their ways. And that's what it is when we become the bride of Christ. When we become Christians, we are adopted into God's ways. And that's why we can talk about these things. That's why we can 
whether we do them or not, we can talk about these things and bring understanding. But in that, one of the worst things that we can do is that when we begin to hear these things and the excitement of these Jewish things is to pick up and run with them, celebrating them, but missing the point of why we're doing it. I've seen too many people that learn these things, they begin to worship, and I I was guilty of it at one time, is to begin to worship the Jewishness of the feast rather than the God who made the feast. We can't let the feast get so far ahead of, of us that we forget about God being in the middle of that. So these things, what the Bible calls, these things are shadows. These times are shadows of things to come. And we don't worship shadows, but we worship the one who casts the shadow. As I said when I started out this little series of these fall feasts in the very beginning a couple of weeks ago, is that this church, Northern Colorado Cowboy Church, was prophesied over in the beginnings of when we started the church. We were prophesied over that we would be like the sons of Issachar. And 1 Chronicles 12, 32, it says that we would be like the sons of Issachar, understanding the times and know what to do in those times. So this is what I've understood, is these feasts are God's feasts, and I believe with all my heart that we can step into a place when we rehearse these things, that the favor of God will come upon us and will be easily better understanding of what this book says because this book is for us. Moses went up on the mountain and was given the first five books of this Bible as God's character saying, God wants to be with us. So when we read this, this is about Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is the word. Jesus is Emmanuel. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no other way to come to the Father except through him. That's it. Whether you celebrate the feast or not, maybe whether you sit here and go, I don't even know what you're talking about, dude. That's all right. Jesus is the word, and he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. So this is what I want to tell you today. If you've never asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, right now is the time to do it. This is the time to do it. He didn't come back at the Feast of Trumpets, which, I mean, when we threw our rocks, we was ready. Come on, Jesus. Come and get me. He didn't come back this year. But he will. And when we're when we're when we're putting positioning ourselves in Christ, we become his bride. And I promise you, he's coming after his bride. If you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, now is the time to be his bride. Amen. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day, and I thank you for each and every person that's here. Father, I pray that even if someone didn't understand what I was talking about, that as they move into their Christianity, as they move to discover your word more, I pray that, God, that your spirit would give them the knowledge of who Jesus is in the word of God. I pray, Father, that if there is no one, if there's anyone that has never received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that right now that they would say yes to you. Jesus, 
Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. That's all that you got to do. That's all that you got to say. That's all that you got to mean in your heart is to say yes to Jesus, that he is your Lord. And when you do that, you become the bride of Christ. Your, your, your address changes from not going to a place you don't want to be to a place that you would love to be. And that is the place of Emmanuel, God with us. Father, thank you so much for this day and for this time that we've had together. And I pray that you would seep your word on the inside of people. In Jesus' name, amen.